When royalty comes to town, it's a big deal, isn't it? Some of you might remember the last time the Queen visited Tasmania and the uh, uh, rigmarole that was associated with such a visit. Uh, the last sort of significant thing I can remember in Tasmania is the visit, not of one of our leaders, but of a significant world leader uh, about eight years ago when uh, Xi Jinping visited uh, Hobart. And uh, obviously, if, if you don't know who Xi Jinping is, he's the president of China and uh, uh, kind of a big deal. Funny how much the world has changed in eight years. Can't imagine him uh, rolling through the streets of Hobart now. But nonetheless, uh, it was a big deal. Roads were closed. Davy Street was closed. Uh, and uh, Xi Jinping rolled through and went up the mountain and patted a Tasmanian devil and uh, did all sorts of things that uh, uh, really important people do. And we all paid him great respect. Uh, Elisa and I, I don't know, we happened to be in the city, so we went and I remember waving at him through his little vehicle uh, in the car. Uh, and there were protesters uh, a little bit further up who perhaps I wish I'd joined these days. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, there we were welcoming uh, Xi Jinping to town. I was reading an article about that day this week and it was a two-year process to plan for his arrival to make sure we got all the pomp and ceremony and everything perfectly in order. Well, the welcome of Jesus to Jerusalem uh, as kind of the unofficial king of uh, Israel, the people's king, uh, is a much uh, less planned uh, but an impromptu and grand affair nonetheless. In John's Gospel, uh, where our reading came from today, and of course this triumphal entry as it's known uh, into Jerusalem by Jesus uh, occurs in uh, all the Gospels, but here in John, uh, the context of it is that Jesus ha uh, is on, on his final uh, trip into Jerusalem. He's made at least uh, two or three of these uh, in his ministry in John's Gospel. And uh, uh, on this trip, uh, he's done something quite remarkable uh, prior to this. He's gone down to his mate's house uh, in Bethany, which is a small town uh, not too far away from Jerusalem, and he's raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's a big deal. Uh, I think even if uh, Jesus raised someone from the dead today, that'd be a big deal. It's got people talking. It's gone viral on first century TikTok. P people know about this story and it's causing a great kind of popular surge of support for Jesus and it's causing the Pharisees to go into overdrive to try and stamp this thing out, this Jesus movement and in particular this Jesus person. Let me read to you from John chapter 11, verse, starting at verse 45. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what, what, had, what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. You know what a tragedy that might be, having spent the last five weeks in Lamentations. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, 
who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Dripping with sort of irony, that statement. He did not say this on, on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Again, not in any of the ways that he thought. But from that day, verse 53, they plotted to take his life. There's this guy, he's becoming popular, the crowds are going to get behind him, it's going to lead to an uprising. That's not the way that we're going to keep this Jewish nation together, even if we're subjugated to the Romans. Uh, we've got to end this. It's a threat to who we are. And so there's a, there's a real threat now to Jesus and his ministry and his life uh, after this miraculous raising of Lazarus. So Jesus has kind of been keeping a low profile from that moment of raising Lazarus to the dead to this moment today of Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. And so we read that he goes back to Bethany where Lazarus was raised from the dead. He gets anointed with oil as a sign of what is to come with his death. It's, a, it's an anointing for his his death uh, and uh, what his, his, the sort of culminating point of his ministry. And then he enters Jerusalem, verse 12 of our reading today from chapter 12. And as he comes in, the people are excited. The crowds that have amassed around Jesus, they welcome him and they say, verse 13, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They're quoting Psalm 118. And we know that the Jewish people used this psalm to worship and celebrate God's plans and purposes being realised. And so here we have the people basically kind of prophetically stating through the word of God and the, and the praise given to Jesus from Psalm 118, the long-promised king is here. Hosanna, literally meaning save. The one who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel, he is here. Finally, he has returned. And as Jesus enters to this great fanfare, he enters... Not in a chariot, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. Verse, 12, uh, verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. A fulfilment of the prophecy Kate read to us earlier from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The upside down nature of the kingdom of God revealed right here, right now. This is not a military king to make a military victory. This is a humble king coming to die so that the people of God can live forever. And as we see Jesus on the donkey 
coming in uh, as the people kind of prophetically praise uh, him uh, and, and, and worship him as king, even if they don't fully understand what that looks like and what that means. We can be encouraged, can't we? We can be encouraged because we see in this moment the, the, the trustworthiness of God and his word. God fulfills his promises to his people. He promises throughout the Old Testament that he will send a saviour and a king to his people. We've looked at some of those promises that the people of God were able to, even if it was only kind of uh, uh, loosely grasp onto as they faced the destruction of Jerusalem. God promised that he was not done with his people, that he would put a new heart in them, and that he would send them a new king and make a new covenant. And now here we have the king riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, just as God said would happen. God's promises can be trusted. And that's good news. Every time we read about the Bible telling us that something God has said would happen, happens, we should take great comfort in this. Because it means when we read other parts of the Bible where God says something is true, it must also be true and it will happen. God's promise to us that the king will return and that he will judge the living and the dead and that all who believe in him will spend eternity in perfection in the new heavens and the new earth. The promise we read in Revelation 21 we can trust that to be a true word of God, just as we could trust the people of God could trust Zechariah that his words were the true word of God, fulfilled in Jesus, and our promises too will be fulfilled in Jesus on his return. And as we live our lives in light of that coming again of Christ, we can trust in the other promises of God too. Promises like Romans 8. And Hebrews 13.5, which promised that God walks with us through the ups and downs of our life and can never leave us. Let me just read a couple of these verses too. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's in the word of God. It's a promise of God. We can trust it. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's in the word of God, we can trust the word of God. This is true for us today. And the promises yet to come are true for us today. And they are deeply trustworthy. Now just because we see God fulfilling his promises doesn't mean uh, it all clicks into place for us in that first moment. It took the disciples a little while to figure out what was going on with this Jesus, whom they believed was sent by God as the Messiah. They just hadn't quite put it all together yet. John tells us this, doesn't he, in verse 16 of chapter 12. At first his disciples did not understand all this. 
Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. It's only after Jesus enters Jerusalem uh, and is captured by the Romans and arrested, trialled, killed, rises from the dead and then uh, explains things to them more clearly that the disciples kind of, it all sinks in just how amazing it is, this thing that God has done and this thing that they have been part of. And so it's okay for us too, I think, to just step forward with faith seeking understanding. We don't have to get it all together before we step out in faith and trust in Jesus. The disciples show this constantly throughout the book of John. uh, When we were looking at John earlier this year, we saw it, didn't we? The disciples kind of taking little steps forward uh, in vaguely the right direction. As we respond to Jesus, what he asks of us is a step of faith, trusting him as best we can and seeking to grow in our understanding as we go. And so as we think about this triumphal entry and the crowds waving palm branches and the disciples kind of not really understanding what's going on and the Pharisees seeking to destroy Jesus, I think this invites us to consider how it is that we are responding to Jesus today. Palm Sunday shows us the truth that God promised to send his king humbly into the world, riding on a donkey for the salvation of his people. Palm Sunday invites us to trust that king. We see a variety of responses, don't we? Verse 17 and 18, in the crowd. The crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. There's a bunch of people going, hey, you've got to check out this Jesus. But the Pharisees, verse 19, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. They're jealous and they need to move now to kill him. Jesus is the king. How have you responded to him? I hope your response will be like the disciples and the crowd who see what Jesus has done who are going along for the journey and who maybe haven't put it all together yet, but nonetheless are stepping forward in faith, following along after this king, this upside-down king from an upside-down kingdom, God's kingdom, which is nothing like the world's. But it's so easy to be like the Pharisees. The Pharisees are so wedded in their heart of hearts 
to their own schemes, to their own power, to their own positions, to their own ideas about how things might, must be and how God must work, that they end up setting themselves against God's actual king. It can be easy to be like that when it comes to Jesus. To not let Jesus set out the agenda for us, to not humble ourselves as he humbled himself and, 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 and walk in his way, but to demand that he bend and shape himself to our will and our thoughts and our ideas about what is right and how things should be. Every time we read the Bible and we hear ourselves say, I don't like that. I think that's wrong. That's an invitation, isn't it, to investigate the Pharisee in our hearts who's got our own ideas about how things ought to be and is not so keen on submitting to the ways of God. Don't be like the Pharisees. Rather, be like those disciples, be like that crowd that humbled themselves, that marvels at what Jesus has done. But look to what came the next Sunday, the resurrection, and find in that salvation and power to live our life trusting the promises of God, eagerly awaiting the King's return. Amen. Amen.